and welcome to episode 8 of the 1099 podcast for the week of August 24th. It is a beautiful sunny day in Jacksonville, Florida. Third one in a row. We have had uh, a really bad stretch early on with these podcasts, but now it's been great. No thunder and lightning outside. Today, I am joined with someone who has read and edited quite a few of my reviews. Um, He has made sure that I don't mix up active and passive voice and do a lot of dumb things. He's made my writing much better. He is the former senior editor of GameSpot and currently the English editor at Tryon Worlds very recently. It's Kevin Van Ord. Kevin, how are you doing today? Hurrah, I'm great. (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. It's Saturday afternoon and I just woke up. (laughs) So all all is good for me. Yeah. I mean, I guess you're on the West Coast. I was looking at my clock and I'm like, whoa, that is quite the sleep. But no, yeah, this is this is acceptable on a it Saturday. Was still, it was still quite the sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it was actually a nap. I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm gonna be fair to myself and and say, hey, I didn't. I didn't like go to bed at like midnight last night, and I'm only now getting up at just <laughs> after one o'clock. No, no, that didn't happen. It was actually a nap. But I was. A little, I got up at like seven o'clock. So this whole new job thing has me on a different schedule. So. And in general, naps are fantastic. I feel like the older I get, the more I'm like, you know what? I don't feel bad about uh, a six o'clock after work nap. I don't feel bad about a weekend nap. Back in like high school, I always felt lazy. But the older I get, the more I take on. I'm like, I will take these naps and I will not feel bad about it at all. No, there are lots of other reasons to feel bad, but not taking a nap. No, <laughs> naps that's, are that's pure. There. Yeah, yes. naps are a great thing that no one should tarnish. Um, you had just mentioned new job schedule. One thing I really want to talk to you about, and we'll get into GameSpot, we'll get into a lot of different things, but... How is, this is a broad question, how is life right now? You just, you know, moved on from uh, handling reviews at GameSpot. And now you're in your first, as far as I know, your first actual game development job. What, how, are you exhausted right now? Are you starting to settle in? What's kind of the mood? I'm exhausted, but I think part of the, most of the exhaustion isn't because my schedule is suddenly, you know, too trying or anything. It's more that it's just new. It's exciting. Plus I have a, a commute uh, in front of me, which isn't something that I'd really been dealing with for for several years. I live so close to the GameSpot offices, mm. and now I live uh, several dozen miles away from my job, and so the commute takes a little bit out of me. But uh, other than that, I've you know the transition's been great, and I'm very happy. I feel very welcomed by Tryon Worlds, and so far. So good. What was what was the first day like? Uh, the first day actually getting into a new office after being in that same office for quite a few years. What I mean, how were you really really nervous? Were you kind of prepared for it? I was terrified, actually. <laughs> I was super terrified. I mean, I'd been doing the same thing for just for for almost nine years, and so any new job was bound to be a little bit. Uh, off-putting, I suppose, isn't the right word, but anything was bound to be a little, you know, stress-inducing and and anxious. And this was many more times more than that for me. (laughs) Um, The first day was great because, and and, and harrowing, number one is because my new boss decided to take take us out to lunch and took us to sushi, and I hate sushi. Oh, so what? there was that day ruined. Oh, I didn't even know no, I'm, this. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's it was it was nice, but it, I I was going through mostly the the bit of the social awkwardness where I'm being introduced to you know a dozen people and I'm not going to remember anybody's name, <laughs> and everybody looks so 
different from what I'm used to, mm-hmm. you know, they're not the same faces anymore. And, you know, and I was still going through that sadness of when I go to work, I'm not going to be seeing the same people that I've grown to really love and appreciate over these years. I'm going to be seeing new people to love and appreciate, <laughs> but it's going to take a while to to feel like I belong. And even now, I mean, I'm never, I've never been the most socially aggressive person, I guess. Yeah. And so what happens is I still don't know a lot of the people and the way the office is set up. My team is in this one area and then there's this whole other area of the office where most of the Trove people work that, that are working on the game Trove and most of the people that work on Rift and all those people are somewhere else and I'm over there with like Davillion and Archage people. So so yeah, it was I, I'm still sort of getting used to that bit. But the first day was nice, you know, sushi aside. I'm sorry <laughs> in advance to people that love sushi. But what do you do? <laughs> and you mentioned how you're not as like socially aggressive. Like these new situations can be hard to deal with. But I mean, you you did initially for uh, GameSpot, and correct me if I'm wrong, you packed everything up and just moved over to California from uh, the East Coast. So when you went there, did you know anyone? Did you have any sort of roots in California? Or was that kind of a social experiment? Let's just see what happens. It was more professionally aggressive, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't have any social roots out here at all my family is all on the east coast and really when i think of my family all i'm really thinking about is my mom at this stage i've never i've never been close to my extended family for the most part and it was that was frightening but that was frightening for a different reason i was ready for that it was a it was a dream it was there's some stability I thought ahead of me, and there was stability, it just wasn't in the job that I was <laughs> given when I first started at GameSpot, but uh, as opposed to now, there, there are a lot of scary things about moving from GameSpot, mostly because it was the dream come true for me, you know, I was at the dream job for nine years, and so what do you do, Where do you, how do you move upwards from your dream is something that I never really had to think about or consider, but like most people, there comes a point where you develop new ideas about what you'd like to be doing. And so I, you know, after some thought, I decided to pursue one of those. And I like to hope that it will work out. <laughs> well, so you mentioned that was your dream with GameSpot. Was there ever any, even back then, some sort of lingering desire to make games? Or was it always writing about games first and making games was like, eh, maybe someday? No, I never thought about it at all. Wow. Um, I, I, I know that there are a lot of people out there that think, oh, people just get into games journalism as a stepping stone for working on games. Absolutely. That's not why I got into game journalism and was there for nine years. <laughs> if I had a different goal, I certainly wouldn't have been doing nine years worth of it. Um, it was what I wanted to do. It allowed me to express my feelings about video games as well as play a lot of video games and that's what I wanted to be doing, and I, it's where I wanted to be doing it. So at that stage, no, I had no interest in moving to the darker side of that life, as it were. <laughs> and uh, no, that that came much later. And it, I, I don't even think that it really came when, you know, when Greg left, he, he didn't 
leave GameSpot for Supergiant, although he's with Supergiant now. He he took a different path to get to Supergiant. He left GameSpot specifically for EA. He was working on Command and Conquer was his first was his first gig on the game making yeah. side of things. Greg Kazavin, I'm sure you know I'm I'm referring to. Mm. And I don't know if my path will be similar. Um, but even when he left, I, I had no inklings of doing something like that. Um, no, I w- it was always about being a games writer and specifically a critic. That is what I wanted to do. Um, so, but this eventually you get to the point where you think maybe maybe I can contribute, create you know my my creative side in a different way. And uh, I this I finally decided to do exactly that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's I mean it came out of nowhere for me when I like saw your announcement. But I guess it makes sense. I mean. Y- like you said, it's, it's the dream. And that's, you know, that's always been my dream since I was 16 years old is to get in a position, you know, full-time position like that. But after doing that for so long, there's a, has to be a point where you look at other things and say, like you said, how can I contribute to the same medium I love, but in a different way and expand my skill set and maybe discover that, oh man, maybe I like doing this even more than what I was doing before. So, I mean, that has to be scary to kind of jump out of your comfort zone like that, but it sounds like you're doing well with it. Um, and uh, I'm really excited to kind of see, you know, where you go with this and to, even though I'm not an MMO guy, uh, see your influence on that game. Um, is it is it mostly just, I know that you're, you're English editor and are you dealing with uh, text that you have a lot of control over changing the content or is it just making sure it is the same sort of message, but just prettier and more grammar friendly? Yes. Yes. To both of those things. <laughs> I, I, I do somewhat both. Um, I'll, what what happens is so just to give people an overview. So I'm working on a game called Devillion, and this is an MMORPG, a, a, a Korean MMORPG that Tryon Worlds is localizing and bringing to Western audiences. And my role is to essentially write. I'm the person. I'm one of two people, two people that are writing the English words for Devillion, and. What happens is it comes, it goes through a translation service which does a raw translation, and then we take that raw translation and turn it into something. Um, sometimes that means more or less. I mean, we want to keep more or less the same ideas and themes going. We can't break mm-hmm. the story; otherwise, it's not going to work because we can't decide. Okay, this is going to this is going to fit neatly into the lore, but this is going to not fit into that lore because we're going to change it up we can't really you can't really do that you have to have some consistency but within that consistency especially in a game like this where the lore is very broad um you have a lot of room to do your own stuff and a lot of things just don't translate um a lot of that happens to be humor uh, to give you an idea and, and this is where i want to be careful i don't want to you know, we're still in the process of making a game, so I have to be very top level. But you might run into things, for example, where it's like it's a a joke about a Korean porn star. <laughs> and then you have to do something with that. And what you do with that is you make it no longer a joke about a porn star and things like that. And, and other other times we will go and uh, and and exercise a little bit more creativity regarding the quests but for the for the most part most of my time lately has been spent doing things that aren't quests all of the things that have words but that aren't really long strings of of ideas and dialogue 
for example. I mean, all of the things that you see in an MMO, a writer did that. All of the words, a writer somewhere did that. So much of it, too. Yeah, so, I, you know, item descriptions and, you know, enemy thought bubbles and speech bubbles and the interface and all yeah. of the words in the interface, which is quite tricky because a lot of Korean characters take up a very small amount of space to communicate a lot of information. We have to figure out how to fit the English sometimes in a very small spaces. Sometimes that means that, that just can't be done and we have to go and change the interface. Um, but uh, the, the better option is usually to try to come up with very concise ways of stating ideas and that's that's very hard, as it turns out, to to do that sometimes. So, you know, that's that's one of the biggest challenges, actually. And anybody who's played a localized RPG or a localized MMO now how know how common it is to see text spill over the sides of the interface, or to have the interface cut off the text, mm. and people that write the words for that game are often the people getting their way around that. It's not UI designers that are finding ways around that. It's typically the, the writers finding ways around that. Yeah, and it, so it sounds like a whole new challenge for you. And we had just totally. discussed, uh, you know, this is a whole new venture. It's you know, starting over again. It's going to a new office. And I kind of wanted to talk for a little bit about your initial experience at GameSpot because I know when you went there, it was in... A unique place, because I'm not sure the exact timeline for you, but not long after you were there was when uh, Jeff Gerstmann was fired, correct? My first day at GameSpot, or uh, Jeff in particular, that was uh, that was fun times. That was about a year after I started. That was okay. just over a year after I started. I started in 2006, and, and Jeff uh, was, was, uh, was let go in 2007. So I was still fairly new at the time, though, because when I started at GameSpot, I was hired to be tournament coordinator. So I had transitioned into editorial a short while before that. What is the tournament coordinator? So there was a time when we had tournaments. So there was a thing called Game Center, and Game Center was a bit of software and a service that we provided for people to connect. Think of it as sort of like, uh, I don't know, it's sort of like a multiplayer server thing for multiple games. Okay. And we were adding game support all the time. But we also did tournaments. And uh, perhaps old GameSpot people will remember tournament TV. So that is so I would spend time conducting the tournaments through the week. And then the tournament would culminate with tournament TV, either with people um, playing the tournament live remotely, or there were occasions where we'd have them come into the office and play <laughs> and, and play there. And it was a lot of fun. That's back when uh, Rich Gallup was with us and he was the host and I was color commentary and also just the coordinator in general for those broadcasts. So much fun to do, but it didn't last and that's okay. <laughs> and you transitioned into an editor position then after that, right? It was like an associate editor. Did it, what was your actual title? Associate editor was came first. That was where you pretty much started when you were joining the editorial team. Mm. And I joined as a reviewer. And at that time, we had so much staff um, that uh, typically people that reviewed games were the people that reviewed games and people that previewed games were the previewers. And there was there was not a whole lot of overlap except in very specific cases. And yeah, we had... Boy, those were the days when we had lots of staff. Yeah, I mean, times have changed, as of course yeah, you know. I mean, totally. uh, 
to kind of go off of that, I mean, I think it was either earlier this year or late last year, there was kind of a change at GameSpot where uh, there were some cuts. And a lot of your regular review staff and your copy editors uh, weren't there anymore. What was that transition like? Because um, I know you had to, you reached out to a lot more freelancers and the editing process was completely different. Um, maybe even going broader, just your, the difference between when you first started, and like you said, there were very specific reviewers and previewers and uh, different things like that. And now today, it seems like you almost have to wear every single hat. Yep, that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, it wasn't the first time um, I'd made it through layoffs at GameSpot. It, it happens, you know, and it happened quite a number of times through its, you know, through through my time with the company. And, and uh, that's... I hate to say it, fairly typical for... I, I'm surprised, actually, that there weren't more over the years, um, just because that's so typical within the games industry at large, yeah. um, is is just layoffs happen um, based on the, the nature of the game. So um, it wasn't my first time, but it was probably the, the time that impacted me personally the most, because especially losing Carolyn Pettit and Tom McShay was, yeah. was pretty hard, um, and there were other people too. There, there. It was just a time of transition, not just then, but before that as well. And I, I missed them a lot. But it did mean that I had to rely more on contracted staff to to get things done on the review side. And I was, I was not the only person left internally doing reviews, but I was the only person left whose main job and focus was to do reviews and that did change things a little bit in terms of how i had to approach the job but yeah and i do, do remember when uh tom and uh, carolyn left because uh for me of course i did keep track of GameSpot uh back when uh, jeff kurtzman and ryan davis were there but when i really started to get into the site and visit it every day and listen to uh, the hotspot was actually uh, when Brendan Sinclair was hosting and you were on it and Tom McShay was on it. And I would, you probably don't remember, of course, but back then I would call in and you guys would play my calls on the show and I'd always send in homework and do stuff like that. So I remember that particular time, that kind of transition was super, you know, even for me, I, I didn't work there full time, but that was a major kind of shift in what GameSpot was to me. And of course, like you said, it's it's a common thing in the industry and, you know, different places adapt. But I do remember that one being looking back and be like, man, that was that was the GameSpot I knew and loved. So it's yeah, definitely a big change in that way. Did Brendan ever send you five hundred dollars? No. Never. God, I was damn so it, upset. Brendan Sinclair. Um he did say my name correctly though, because I think I wrote it out phonetically. Um, so yeah, I was on there a few times. I remember just doing the homework every week and just having a blast doing that. Uh, yeah, never got my money though. Someday. Damn uh, it. I'll, He's I'll... such a liar, that Brennan <laughs> Sinclair. I think I have him on PSN. So, you know, I'll randomly send him an email or a message just saying, where's my $500 and watch how quickly he removes me from his list. Ah. But yeah, going really quickly back to the Jeff Kurtzman situation, like your first year there and you still being kind of early in GameSpot. Was there ever a moment when those people started to leave, you know, Vinnie Caravella, Brad Shoemaker, where you had questioned whether or not you did the right thing when you packed up and moved? Because like you said, this was your dream. Um, but, you know, back when you were uh, probably, you know, reading a lot of GameSpot, all of those people were there and a lot of them were gone a year into your tenure. Was there ever this moment where you're like, oh, this might not be exactly what I want? Yes, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was 
fairly weird for me, and I, I've talked about this before, uh, but it was weird for me just because um, I was still new, and I didn't have... Of course, those guys were going off and, and eventually making giant bombs, something that I didn't know at the time what, what they were doing. I just knew that they were up to something, and uh, whatever it was would probably be really great. But, you know, Jeff was gone, and of course then Ryan left, Brad left, Finney left, etc., and etc., and I wasn't part of the, sort of that social group. Oh, and Alex as well. Yeah. Um, I'd never really been part of that social group, not because they weren't welcoming or anything. It's just because, number one, you, you take socially awkward weirdo like me <laughs> and you insert it into a place where you already have a very chumby, uh, chumby. That's a new word that I made up. I today, like it. You, I'm going to start using it. <laughs> you have a chummy ambience um, with people like, Jeff and, and, and those guys. And I, I never really felt like I belonged with that. I'd never developed that kind of rapport. Even now, or I should, I should say even now, even even before I left, you know, I would run into Jeff in the hallway and I loved Jeff to pieces, but he was still always somebody that I looked up to. So I was always a little bit uh, awkward when I was around Jeff. I was never part of that, like, like I, I hadn't sort of grown into it together with those guys i felt I, I even at that time i felt like an outsider but yes i questioned it all the time i i actually went on on job interviews oh really <laughs> um yes um because i i didn't know if that's if it's where i wanted to be anymore um and and then i i sort of got luck i mean it's it's hard right i moved across the country i yeah. didn't have a safety net here um i would i was still at the point where it's not like i was making it's not like people that write about games make a lot of money and so i didn't have savings to fall back on i didn't i needed a job and i i wouldn't have known the first thing at that stage about getting a job in the big bad city so i got lucky because then the guy that uh, the, the 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 manager that was that that did uh that had fired jeff and and so on and so forth he he left and we got new management and, and things started to feel a little more comfortable again and i think the most important thing to note however is that nobody ever came came to me and said don't do the things that you've already been doing don't write the way you've been writing you know nobody ever once came to me and said please be kind to this game or that game or that just is something that never happened to me because if it had, then I would have walked out right then, and I would have been living on the streets. But at least I, you know, at least I would have been happy with myself. Um, and if ever anything like that had happened, I would have just gone. Luckily, I I never found myself faced with that kind of moral quandary. And I don't know why I would call it a moral quandary. There's no real question in my mind about what the answer is. No, but I mean, I but... know what you mean. And when you were looking for other jobs, that had to be, you know, you would just. You, you you saw Jeff leave for what a lot of people were seeing from the out you know from the outside looking in it seemed like it was over a review score tied to advertising so like well you said like you said you never got anyone coming up to you and being like hey let's bump this score up two points or anything like that but when you first heard about the firing was that a part of the reason why you were looking for other jobs just in case in case that was something that was going to start being instituted at GameSpot actually yes um. But also just the the insecurity. A lot of that has to do with just the, the general morale of the place and things mm. like that. Things, but but this stuff has has been sort of uh, regurgitated by by Jeff himself. Yeah. Um, when when John Davison started at Gamespot, they did a video that 
that appeared on GameSpot and Giant Bomb, and this was right after CBS bought Giant Bomb. I remember this. Much, much to the surprise of everybody on staff, <laughs> uh, we found out the day before the public found out. And when oh. I say we, I mean just a very small group of managers found out the day before. <laughs> wow, I did not know that it was announced. So yes, it was it was a big surprise to most people internally as well as externally when it happened. Um, but yeah, af- right after that, Jeff and John did a, a pod, not a podcast. They did a, they did a video where they just finally cleared the air about all that stuff because you know when when you know when it happened. I had no real idea of what the circumstances were for Jeff mm. um, because he wasn't allowed to talk about it. Um, and I wasn't really, like I said, I wasn't part of that chummy group of people. So it's not like he was confiding in me or anything. And even if he had, I couldn't tell anybody. Yeah. So na- even now, everything I know is everything that everybody else knows, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, so I don't really have a lot of a lot of juicy tidbits to share <laughs> On, Man, on that I'm afraid I, I brought you on here for your juicy tidbits. I was just so excited about that. Thankfully, you didn't leave GameSpot, and you eventually, you know, like you said, you got into kind of leading the charge for reviews. Um, I'm making it sound very dramatic. Uh, and um, I, what I really wanted, one thing I wanted to cover was kind of your process for um, finding freelancers, assigning certain freelancers' work because. Like you had said, you had gone through periods where you had a lot more staff, so there wasn't as much of a need for contractors. But uh, especially over this last you know, year, year and a half, it was, if you look through that review list, I would say over half, over half, I feel comfortable saying that, was done by freelancers. So kind of to start, yeah. what was the process of finding people to write for GameSpot that you knew, like, I can trust this person to be ethical and how they handle things. I can trust their quality of writing and different uh, aspects of that nature. Well, some of those people uh, I inherited um, because before before I was the person assigning reviews, Justin Calvert was the one assigning reviews. But when I, when I started at GameSpot, Alex Navarro was the one assigning reviews and so on and so forth um, back down the line. And, and Brett Todd is probably one of the most is is the lo- is easily the longest term freelancer now at GameSpot, <laughs> yep. and I never, you know, I didn't bring Brett on. Um, he was he was just sort of grandfathered in there. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I but I love Brett, um, and, and he's he's very un- very unique. I'm, I'm doing one of those things where I'm doing that thing that I hate when other people do. Um, <laughs> he's unique, and he's a Canadian mayor. So he's not the mayor of Canada, clearly. All of Canada. He's, <laughs> he's the mayor of a Canadian town. And so I love Brett and he brings something. He's nobody else is like Brett when it comes to the reviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so obviously, you know, I'm going to keep Brett around. But, uh, you know, so, and, and other people had already been doing that as well. Um, you know, I think uh, Leif Johnson uh, was somebody who who sort of you know, got grandfathered in in that same way and, and quite a number of other people. But over time, people, you know, they sometimes they betray me and get jobs. <laughs> uh, sometimes, you know, they, you know, they, they just go on and do other things and so on and so forth. And uh, for me, the, once once I was the one that did that, for me, sometimes it would come down to a recommendation that somebody internally would make 
they they know this person because they've seen their writing and they think it's good and or i i mean I'd, i would get lots of emails out of the blue yeah. all the time from people just introducing themselves and saying i think i'd be very good at this do you have any freelance positions open um there would be you know and in other cases i would see somebody that i thought was really great and i would just reach out and say i think you have a voice that i would find valuable and from there it just came it, it really for me it came down to who do i think is the best yeah and then try to get them on board and 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 to write and sometimes that could be difficult you know getting a contractor can there can, there are stringent requirements legally for the IRS um about who they'll like and we have a you know a game spot you know we had a we had a service that sort of took care of that for us um, as you know, of I course, do know, because you've been through it, and uh, that sometimes that could be difficult. Some sometimes somebody that I thought was the you know the best writer, um, sometimes it could be difficult to work around all of the all of the legal requirements to to get them to actually start writing. Um, so that could sometimes be a little bit of a hassle, but uh, for the most part, that's what I was looking for: somebody that I thought was really good and somebody that that in some way elevated what we were talking, you know, the, the conversation about games. That's really what I wanted. And, you know, of course, over time, I would say that the voice of GameSpot reviews changed. And over time, you know, I changed the things that I was looking for. Um, it, it just sort of depended on where we were in that, you know, flow um, or roller coaster, if you, if, if you will. Um, but, and I think part of that just followed my, you know, my own growth. Um, the things that I cared about in games changed over time. The things that I paid attention to changed over time. Um, what I thought games could be changed over time. And as, plus I was just becoming a better and better writer over time. And as a result, I think that the things that I looked for sort of were at pace with that, you know the things, the the ways I was changing. I was in turn looking for for people that sort of fit that idea of of the way I like the way the way I like reading about games being written. I yeah. guess that 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 was terrible, 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 terrible. <laughs> I make words for a living, and none of that made sense. It made sense to me. No, I, I get what you mean, <laughs> and um. Writing for GameSpot was always for me. It was something I felt proud to do, especially at the time I got in, because and, and even right now, because I still write for them. But uh, the group that was either grandfathered in or that you amassed, it's a really unique group. And I've written for a lot of different websites, and I've been with a lot of different uh, freelance, you know, talked to a lot of different freelance reviewers. But there's this tight knit nature to the uh, GameSpot freelancers. I mean, I've become friends with. Uh, Miguel and Nick and um, a lot of people like that and I of course I do read reviews you know I, I like to read other people's writings I, it, it inspires me in certain ways but I don't read any site more than GameSpot and this is not to promote it in a weird way of like GameSpot's the greatest because I write there but it was because there's so many unique voices and like you said it the games changed your writing changed and as a result the content that appeared for GameSpot reviews changed but for me I've always felt really happy to be a part of that not because of the fact that it's you know a lot of people read my stuff but because i just i love the group that you brought together and still really enjoy writing with them yeah i and i think it's worth pointing out that based on what i said before i i want to make sure that i'm not coming across as oh i was looking for little kevin's you know people <laughs> that just had all of my my 
my opinions and people that wrote the exact same way. That's not really what I mean. I, I what I really mean is it was just about getting people that dug deeply. And the longer, the, the more deeply I dug, the more it was important for me to get people that that were looking at games in different ways, different ways from me, different ways from each other, um, so that we could get a really wide variety. That's why I, you know, why, for example, on Twitter, I would put a call out for, hey, I need more women and people of color on the in this group. You know, send yeah. me send me an email with your with a link to your work because I need a greater diversity of voices, and that's something that um, that I felt was really needed and is still really needed. You know, I suppose that uh, I suppose that comes across really weird on a on a podcast where two white dudes are talking, but <laughs> um, that was that was important to me too. There was there was a lack of of voices on mainstream sites from from people of color and from women, and I wanted to. I wanted to be a little part of of that change, a change that I felt really strongly about. And uh, hopefully I helped do that a little bit, especially because when I put calls out like that, that means I got people on board like Austin Walker, Mm -hmm. who then giant bomb stole from me several months later. (laughs) Quickly, yeah, that was a Very quickly, yeah. Um, But then in turn, Austin, uh, you know, you know, Janine Hawkins came on board after that, which I was really excited about. And Justin Clark, who was yeah. fantastic. And, you know, that that made me really happy that uh, some voices that really needed that, that really deserved space um, were were able to get that. And that that made me super excited. And it's diverse voices, like you said, but it always felt very cohesive to me. The 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 tone of GameSpot after you brought all these different people in and they came together and you started looking through the reviews there's a you know a large group of people with different opinions but it felt like GameSpot it felt like it had this kind of collective nature to it and uh just pointing one out that I'm actually talking to tomorrow on a podcast uh sorry if I say his name wrong but uh Nick let me see if I can say it Capazzoli yeah that's absolutely fine that's, that's exactly right boom um, um but I think you should pronounce it tomorrow in some wildly offensive Italian cliche way, <laughs> capazzoli, like just make it sound like a pasta dish. Yeah, it's like like capazzoli, <laughs> you know. Um, and and don't tell him it was my idea. I won't because no. it's such a good idea that I think you should take all the credit. Oh, absolutely! I will totally take the credit for that. Absolutely. I was actually just uh, YouTubing old Gamespot reviews of his to see you pronounce it. Um, Because I was like, I have no idea where to start with pronounce like this. And yeah, I think even though I now know, I'm just going to butcher that thing terribly. It's just Nick Capazzoli. It's fine. It's fine. It's just the way it's spelled with with six Z's. So many Z's. And and a couple of L's in there and uh, a few vowels to mix things up. (laughs) But yeah, he's um, someone who his reviews are like few other reviews just in terms of, I mean, you can always point back to Dead Rising 3 which was quite the contentious review. But, I mean, he's always someone I point to to say, like, look at, look at what GameSpot's doing. It's, it's, it's very different, and it's very... Uh, we're digging into games in a different way. And, yeah, it's that group that, um, you know, I've written for a lot of places, and I'm not in any way trying to put those down. But GameSpot was always the one I pointed to and said, like, look how cool this is. Like, we really... I think we have something here. Um, and bummer that you left, and I miss writing for you, but I do hope that that's something that continues to go forward um with the same group and we can continue to cover games hopefully in a way that people enjoy but I, I, I don't read the comments but you know yeah well don't read the comments yeah 
but I'm sure that I'm sure that Peter Brown will uh, be be running with this ball um, quite spectacularly. Yeah, no I'm, doubt, I'm really no doubt about it. So. I'm looking forward to it. Um, so, what was your? You talked about how you kind of found freelancers. You needed different calls like that. What was your process for? Especially, let's say it's it's end of August. Madden's about to come out. Floodgates are about to open. Here come review games. Um, what was your process of assigning different freelancers that you've already brought aboard different games? Weeping softly at <laughs> night and hoping that it just worked itself out. Um, that was that was always tough. And part of the reason for that is because a lot of the big games you want to have a video review for. And doing a video review um, is resource intensive. And doing a video review where a freelancer is involved is more f- resource intensive mm-hmm. internally. Um simply because that means that we have to figure out a script and then somebody that's not the reviewer has to has to read it and we need to have footage footage is such a big deal um yeah, it is. and a, a video review doesn't happen without it and depending on what's the you know what the freelancer has available to to themselves that that a freelancer may not be able to get that footage um, and certainly, if they can get the footage, it may not be extremely high-quality footage, um, or it may be very difficult to send many gigs of files over the internet in any kind of efficient way, and so on and so forth. And so that that was actually really tough. Typically, um, what I would try to do is just know what's coming out. Knowing what's coming out and knowing what people are interested in are really important parts of that. That way you know, sort of knowing who's good with what games, you know, but as always, like people internally always got kind of first dips on stuff like that. Yeah. Um, which was, which was fine when there were a lot more people internally. Um, later on, it became a little, a little tougher, um, you know, a lot fewer video reviews, for example, and things like that. I don't think people really realized how small our internal staff <laughs> yeah could i don't be think they did at certain times and uh as a result it just made it harder to to hurt the cats but and a lot of that too has to come down with when do we get the game a lot of you know it doesn't matter how well i think i've planned things out when a game comes that thing needs to go to somebody to play it and if the person i had in mind is busy with something else then that means that means the whole schedule is disrupted. Um, the, the bad news with a lot of that stuff is that I ended up just doing so much of it myself. Um, it's not really bad news. I was playing video games for Christ's sake. <laughs> but you, you get the idea. That that did mean that during the, the autumn months uh, that I was always extremely busy. And, you know, it was basically... You know, play and write from the beginning of the gay, from the beginning of the gay, from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, and then I would I would be wiped and through the weekend and so on and so forth. Which again, I love games and I loved writing, but that doesn't mean that that couldn't be exhausting from time to time. Uh, especially sometimes you just want to go to the market. Totally. And you know, sometimes you want to pee, and the video <laughs> games are getting in the way. So and you, like you said, you're working with freelancers. So when you're reaching out, they have other assignments. They have um, I have a full time job. So like being able to rude. balance that, I know is it, I should really start considering other people. But uh, it makes it hard for like when you reach out to me and you're like, I have 18 games to assign right now. Can you take this one? And I'm like, I can't. So like yeah, it throws that off. And I bet those last this last year, even though like you said, you're playing games, you're doing what you love, but holy shit, there's a lot going on and you have a lot of responsibility in terms of 
hurting these freelancers and making sure, you know, I want, I don't want to, I want to make sure I'm not missing this guy. This guy needs to, you know, I haven't contacted him in a month. He, he probably wants to write something. I also want to give too much to this guy. He's reviewing three games at once. Yeah. That process has to be like, you're juggling while you're also dancing uh, and doing all those other things. Yeah. That, that, that stuff was, was always, a that stuff was always a little rough. That is true. And I, and I try to pick stuff that I think, you know, people could, you know, there, there were certain authors that I liked putting on certain games because I felt that certain types of games really, really fit. You know, some people have their expertise anyway. It's not like I'm going to go and, and assign, you know, a complex fighting game or a strategy game to just whomever because it doesn't really work that way. I want to make sure that I'm always matching up the right game with the right person. Um, not because I think that they're going to like it, but because I think that they're going to know how to evaluate it. That was always really important to me. But yeah, that, 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 the the autumn comes and the winter comes and and things get tough and i think a lot of people would say things such as you know how come you didn't review all of the versions of this <laughs> that that is a very complicated question Couldn't even imagine. Uh, because every game is a little bit different and comes at a different time and sometimes we only get one copy in advance so if you see a review go up for you know i'll use dragon age inquisition as an example you know you see a review for dragon age inquisition go up and it's only ps4 and xbox one it's because that's the only thing i got in advance well enough for the review to go up then mm. um and the other thing that i wanted to avoid and i'm going to go back to skyrim my the goal was to have a review for all of the platforms a game would be on at least back when i had enough staff to try to do that um, but that wasn't always possible, and I ran into a circumstance. So, you know, I it was always you know you always finish the game kind of thing, and yeah. so I as as much as can be finished. There are some games that are unfinishable. Um, so with Skyrim, it was like okay, you know, I've seen the story through. It's 90 hours later. It's time to write. So, but then we never we only had the Xbox 360 version um, at that stage. And I think that we had gotten the PC version a little bit before. I, I don't remember that. My, but my my thing was with the PS3 version in particular, because the PlayStation 3 version, we got it. And I started playing it. And I don't know, I put like 20 hours in. It's like, okay, this is fine. Um, I'll stick stick the PS3 on, on there too, mm. um, along with the Xbox 360 and so on. And that was a problem, because the PlayStation 3 version was plagued with some bugs, if I recall correctly, specifically around save games. And the more oh, save games you I had and the longer this. the game went on, the the worse it performed. And I ran into a, a circumstance where I, I felt like I might have miscommunicated what people were getting because I'd only played a certain number of hours. And with a game like Skyrim, I don't think it's I don't think it's reasonable for anybody um, to assume that you should play 90 hours or 100 hours of the same game on three platforms—that is Ugh. a waste. That is a waste of time and resources. Yeah. I, I don't think that any reasonable person would suggest that that should be possible. Um, but even if you are somebody that's some kind of purist about something like that, um, that uh, from any business standpoint, that is a poor way to be spending time. Yeah. I would rather simply not review a platform than have a misleading review for a platform. And that was one of my regrets in time. Not that I don't think that uh, as a game, the PS3 version of Skyrim isn't, isn't as good as, as the others, all things considered. 
Um, but when save games are, are breaking it like that, then that's something that people should know. And not and that's not something that I experienced. So obviously it didn't go into the review because I didn't know it was going to do that. Um, and I think that's a rare example. You know, it's not something that happens frequently um, where one platform is just disastrously broken, but it takes yeah. that many hours to figure it out. But, you know, I didn't want to run into that again. And so that's... a big another reason why you wouldn't see you know other platforms you know because if i can't play enough to be sure then i'm not gonna attach that platform to that review because i don't want to mislead anybody yeah absolutely and that sounds even though skyrim is probably a great game to play early and you're excited about it that process does not sound like fun um in terms of let's go to the other end of the spectrum what reviews from playing the game to actually writing about it did you have the most enjoyment doing? What was your most enjoyable review experience? Because, I mean, I look back at, uh, for me, I always point to NBA 2K15 that I wrote for you because I'm a massive basketball fan and um, that was a wonderful basketball game. So to be able to not only play it early, but to kind of uh, get into words how I feel about the sport and the certain things this game got exactly right about it was just a blast for me. And being able, like, it's one of those times where very often I will write a full review. I will look back at it and be like, well, this is hot dog shit. I need to edit this a hundred times. And for that one, I remember looking at it the first time, I'm like, <laughs> I actually have something here. Like something is starting to make sense. So for you, what was that game? Oh gosh, that's a, that's a, it's a big question. question. Uh, and I think what you're talking about is sort of that miraculous, uh, trilo- you know, that, that miraculous duality of a game that's awesome and also a game that you just loved writing about. Absolutely. Um, and because I, sometimes those are different things. Sometimes I loved writing reviews um, about games that weren't that great. <laughs> yes. And sometimes games can be great and it can be hard to write about them. Um, but I I don't know, most recently maybe, I mean, Demon Souls comes to mind as, as an example of a game that I didn't expect to be necessarily amazing and then was. I mean, I you, know, you go into any game with, you know, you don't know what it's going to be like. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, here's this game called Demon Souls. I don't know much about it. Okay, let's let's dig in. And then it ended up being this amazing thing that's changing my world. <laughs> and and so I had a situation like that a, a little bit with that. But I but I'm going to come out and say that that Bloodborne might be an example. Not that I think that Bloodborne is it, Bloodborne's not the best game I have ever reviewed at GameSpot, but I still think it's excellent 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 Mm -hmm. and i think that that was just a confluence of a game that i loved combined with a game that i loved writing about because there were there were things that for the first time in that dark souls-esque series things that i thought were really worth writing about that i hadn't felt strongly about before in terms of like story and themes and suddenly I had I, I had this Dark Souls-like game where I could relate more to the themes than I could relate to before. Also, it was my birthday when that review <laughs> went up. So there was there was the third aspect of that yeah. that, that made me a little bit happy. So I, I feel like um, that was... And, and also because Bloodborne was the easiest of the Dark Souls games for me to get through. Not because I think it's the easier... I, easier than the games that came before it so much as i just played so much dark souls-esque stuff 
that I was ready and I knew the pace and it was a little bit, you know, I had the skills going into it at that stage that I needed to, to finish in a reasonable amount of time. And so I did. And I don't know, there was, there was just something about the way Bloodborne hit me um, where I loved talking about it in the review and I loved playing it. And uh, I think it does a pretty good job of, I, I think it's a good represent a good representation of what I tried to do with reviews. If you go back and read the Bloodborne yeah. review. I remember actually staying up and waiting for all those reviews to uh, go live. And yours was one. I like, I know your attachment and your history with that series. I'm like, have to read this immediately. Um, and actually the most recent time I also did this, a similar thing was your journey review, which I would assume kind of fell under a similar umbrella as this, because I had a very, uh, strong reaction to journey when it first came out. I remember sitting and playing that all in one night. I started at like midnight, not really knowing what to expect. And then kind of remember it was 2am and my jaw was on the floor at the end of it. And that was one of the only games where I was like, why am I crying? There's nothing like altogether that sad about this, but it's just pouring out. Um, how was reviewing uh, Journey, which was one of your final, if not your final reviews at GameSpot? It was my last review. Yeah. And, well, not my last review ever or anything. It was my <laughs> final it was my final GameSpot review. Yeah. And it was a treat. It was an unexpected treat because I didn't know that that's how the, the calendar was going to line up or anything. But Journey was a game that I, did, I didn't review journey on the playstation 3 when i was at GameSpot, that was jane douglas and i had i loved journey when i first played it i think it's i think journey is one of the best games ever made mm -hmm. um just bar none I, I i don't think that there i i don't like when people have to qualify it well it's more of an experience than a game <laughs> no it's a game and it's one of the best games ever made so shush um but yeah, that that's one of the that was actually a real treat, and of course it became the third ten that that I ever gave at GameSpot. Um, although I would have said that it deserved a ten when it first came out as yeah. well. Um, and of course at GameSpot we we named it Game of the Year, in I guess that would have been 2012. Was it 2012? I, I think that was 2012. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, so it was a real treat to to get to write about what I thought was one of the. The, the greatest games of all time. And, and one, of, one of the things I really wanted to make sure to talk about, it was my primary theme of the, of the review, was how it manages to elicit those tears. And because after having played Journey, you know, oh gosh, I suppose I'd played it five times or whatever by the, by the time I played on the PS4, and I played another three times on the PS4. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, it's short enough that you can get plenty out of it. And every time is like playing the first time for me. And I think that's incredible because no game could really do that. You know, no game. You can't play a game again for the first time, right? Yeah. But I feel like Journey gets as close as you can get to that feeling of playing it for the first time. That's how much wonder it sort of encompasses for me. And that was oh, what a what a treat that was to finally talk about that game in a review and to finally say this is why this is special and this is this is where its power comes from yeah so that was a lot of fun journey was a game that made me cry and oddly the ending of metal gear solid 4 will always have this thing with me where like i remember watching that and the last line and that the dialogue at the very end me being like uh oh i'm sitting in front of my tv crying at this sneaky military ridiculous game here come the tears yeah yep. uh, i've i've done it i've i mean i've cried in games before journey 
as you said, Journey is interesting because it's not overtly sad. It's not, I mean, it's, I would say that it's manipulative in a certain way. It's meant to be that way. It's meant to make you feel that way. But what we're used to is being manipulated in a different way. We're used to being manipulated by movies to cry because it's sad. This, and I, I pointed this out in my review, is a matter of, of uh, uplift. And I talked about that in review, um, specifically about Roger Ebert having a whole blog written about the subject of an emotion called elevation. And what it is, is it's this idea that there's nothing more moving than the idea of incredible goodness or some kind of transcendence. And that's what that's what Journey is, I think. I And I think the reason it works is because, and this is a little bit of a spoiler, but Journey sort of does this thing where it's taking away from you your only real source of joy, which is your ability to, to, to use the scarf to fly into the air. And that is that is your source of energy, as it were. And the reason it's... The reason it's, um, you know, sort of it's down moments work so well and make you feel so powerfully you know makes you feel so powerful about them is that it's you know it's taken away your source of joy you know, whether it's that monster um that big cloth monster as you go through the cavern yeah. or whether it's you're going through the snow and it's just ripping away from you like one little tick at a time um it's taking away your joy like literally mm -hmm. that is your source of fun and joy and so it's taken away. You reach that all is lost moment, the very famous narrative moment where you think everything is lost. And then it it brings it all back to you. But it not only brings it back to you, it gives you free use, essentially. Um, and at the same time, you're going up the mountain and the whole thing is just released. That is the moment of elevation in the game and it begins when you're sort of thrust down that tunnel and into the into the the, the area of the mountain you know you think all is gone you've, yeah. you're sort of resurrected in that moment you look up and there's that there, there's that face there with you and and then suddenly you go and there's this oh god i got i'm sorry i'm, I'm waxing uh waxing no exotic on journey i now. love it keep going but there's this moment when you before you wake up, and it's the longest whiteout ever. <laughs> it is. So you, you, everything goes white, and that's the all is lost moment. And then it lasts for a little bit longer than you would expect this kind of moment to last. And then your first sign of life, provided you're using a controller that has yeah. rumble, is a single rumble in the controller. And it is one of the most phenomenal uses of controller rumble ever the, because it's, it's like a single heartbeat, like just bump. And then a moment later you, you, you start regaining your vision and it's just one of the most amazing moments in all of video games. And it has nothing to do with what you're seeing and it has everything to do with what you feel and with what you're not seeing. And then, of course, it just thrusts you down a tunnel and you're going up the mountain and you have freedom to fly as high as you want. That's the moment of elevation and that's the part that brings us our tears. Um, two things. First off, I, you just gave me the idea of top 10 best uses of controller rumble. Thank you very much. I'm going to go pitch <laughs> that to someone. Second, I, I love your use of the word release because that's what it was for me. And like you said, you go through this down period. You're climbing the mountain and you might be someone right next to you. You're both going through this 
this snowy environment. And like you said, you're, you're kind of like your scarf is being slowly torn away, but you have this release and it's this emotional after you've been at the very bottom, you're now not just at the top, you're in this way over the top moment. And yeah, I think that was the reason that that's where the tears happen is because you're taken from the lowest low to the highest high in such a beautiful way that um, the way you described it uh, was perfect. And it also reminds me that please tell me you are still writing video game reviews in the future. I, I will. And I have written one okay. uh, since, since I've left GameSpot. It's a slow process. I have a full-time job and I have other things I need to do <laughs> outside no of that. No excuses. But uh, I did create a site. Well, number one, I... I restarted a podcast with Tom McShane, Carolyn Pettit. It's called yes. Wild Guesses. You should listen. Um, we're going to record our third episode tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's you can think of it in effect a revival of GameSpot gameplay. If you yep. ever listen to gameplay, um, the structure is is more or less the same. It's just, of course, we're not with GameSpot anymore. Um, but I'm always looking out for uh, for more guests. Our second episode, which uh, went up um, earlier this week had scott benson on it he is a game designer and an artist on night in the woods okay um, and lost constellation and uh and so forth and so he was a lot of fun to have on but yeah we we resurrected a podcast and we're very happy about that and i also created a site for it to live which is wildguesses.com so you can go to www.wildguesses.com and that's where i'm going to be depositing all of my reviews that I come up with. And the, the review that I wrote was for Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. Go ahead, go to wildguesses.com. You can read Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. I'll also be putting any screenshots that I take from games on there uh, and so on and so forth. So, And I'm going to be trying to do other stuff with it too. I'd like to create a video series on game soundtracks, but I don't know. It, it's just really hard coming up with the time when you have a, a demanding full-time job, but you... But I also miss the reviews. I miss yeah. doing that. But nothing's going to keep me from doing it. I'm going to keep playing every possible game that I have time for and uh, reviewing as many as I can. Yeah, and that's I'm excited to hear that because uh, one of the main reasons I was bummed when I... like I was really excited for you for your new job, but of course I was bummed that I wouldn't be writing for you anymore. But just in general, I really mean it when I say when I was coming up and when I was reading a lot of different people, you were the person I always looked at as one day I want to write like that. I want to be able to express my ideas and communicate the way I feel about games in this kind of, the way your reviews always read. It's just this, it, it always felt effortless. It always felt effortless to communicate ideas really intelligently and emotionally. And every time I tried to do that when I first came up, it sounded like I was right-clicking and thesaurusing on all my words to make them sound better instead of having it come out more naturally. So... I do mean it when I say I'm really excited that you are still doing that because I do think we need more Kevin Van Ord reviews in this industry. So that's the only time I'm going to be like (laughs) all buttering you up. I won't do that the entire rest of the podcast. (laughs) Well, uh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it's it's just something that I love. I mean, I'm glad that people have found value in in that work. I mean, what can I say? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm proud of a lot of the stuff that I that I wrote. And I'm I'm just glad that it has some value. I've never been somebody who's I'm I'm not one of those people. I'm not very good at that whole you know you have to write for an audience kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm lucky that that sort of worked out for me <laughs> in some ways. Um, in the end, I just write what I feel and hope that it has value to whoever the reader happens to be. 
I know that's not exactly the right the right answer. Like when you're working for a place like GameSpot or IGN or whatever, you have to be conscious about who you're writing for. That doesn't mean that I wasn't aware. Yeah. Um, but it does mean that I can only go so far. I can't write what people want to hear. For example, I can only write what I feel, and it's going to be in the language that I I most the language that I use, yeah. I guess. Um, and that language did change over time. I Sometimes it's very cringeworthy to go back and read one of the early reviews. Oh, God, I can't. Like, oh, did yeah. I really write this? <laughs> I don't even remember this game. <laughs> <laughs> Let alone enjoy reading this thing. I can't do that. I um, was talking, like we talked about earlier, to Greg Kasavin last week, and we were talking about Spec Ops The Line um, and just kind of the interesting nature of that story and i was looking back to see when i I wrote a review for that game in what was it 2013 2012 whenever it came out just reading through it and i'm like oh man why did everyone anyone ever pay me to write about video games what is this uh so (laughs) i am really bad with that we're like if it's older than six to like eight months i usually i'm like i would change this i would change this i would change this but i think that's a good sign for the both of us as in we've grown and we've advanced how we talk about games and how we put things and i promise i've never used the word mixed bag or the term mixed bag or emotional roller coaster but there are definitely things in there where it's like oh no there's the word visceral please destroy this review and make sure no one ever reads it um, <laughs> yeah once again excited that you're still writing and uh excited to see more of uh your work at uh at Tryon worlds and kind of to hear how it goes from there and um at the end of these podcasts and i didn't prepare you for this part at all so here we Ooh, go boy. Um, what are you going to do to me? Nothing bad, I promise. So at the end of these podcasts, I always like to um, give kind of one, here's a tip, here's a takeaway for for freelancers. And I'll absolutely go first because once again, I had not prepped you at all for this. Um, because although I don't want this to be a strict advice podcast, I think it has value in terms of people like me. When I started, I had no idea what to do and how to get into it. And I'd always, you know, written stuff on the side. But like I said, it was not good. And uh I didn't really know the next step to take. And uh, Nathan Minier was one of, a re- one of my really great inspirations in terms of his, uh, his freelance writing book. And I read that and then I got my first pitch accepted by IGN. So I think this podcast can, can and has acted as a good means for people to take that first step. Um, so for me, my tip this week, I guess, uh, one thing I've realized over time is uh, everyone has not just a, their own unique voice in terms of when you read their final product, but their own unique process for writing. Uh, some people need to write a paragraph and edit that paragraph and make it all shiny before they move on to the next one. I am the opposite person where I will barf out 1,200 words that if you read them before I edited them, you would think that I was the worst writer and any site that ever paid me to write for them was just making a massive mistake. Uh, but I'm someone who barfs it out and then edits it once, edits it again, edits it again and I need to go through it. I need to get all my thoughts out and then kind of build from there. So for me, I th- one thing I've learned, I guess, is not only discover how do you write, but work with your style and not against it. I've had people try to convert me to that one paragraph, make sure it's clean and do it in this certain time frame and do that. And it, it always produced work that I wasn't as proud of. So for me, over time, I've learned how I write. I've learned that I'm always someone who I do a lot at once and because I, I always like to get in before deadlines and that's just how my brain works. Um, so once you find out your writing style, make sure that if it, if it works for you, do that style. Don't change because other people say 
this this is the right way to do it. No, do what works for you as long as you're getting your review work in on a certain deadline, as long as your editor doesn't say, this is a hot pile of trash, you need to get rid of this. Um, as long as you're happy with it, find your style and work a uh, work with it, not against it. So once again, Kevin, I completely did not prepare you for this, but if you have any oh sort of tips, want to, I know, uh, I have about a thousand of them. <laughs> okay. Um, all 1000. Let's start at one. Uh, uh, gosh, I don't even know where to begin. I, I, I'll say what, why don't I tell you some of the common, the common things that seem to crop up in various freelanced reviews. That's perfect. So how about like little, little tips on the things that meant the most editing for me a lot of the time. Oh, now I'm concerned. So right. I'll throw, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine because these are very general <laughs> things. These are not, this is a thing Josiah did. And let me tell you about it. Um, I, I'll use a couple grammar things, a couple uh, structure things and a couple of overall things. Number one, don't get lost in the forest for the trees. Um, I'm sure that that's related to that old saying about forests and trees somehow. <laughs> um, but what I what I mean is, in your zeal to talk about specific things, don't forget to describe what it's like to play the game. Um, that is something that by far is the most common piece of feedback I've had to provide to freelancers before the review can be published is I still don't understand how this game is played and I don't understand what it feels like to play it. And those are two incredibly that that that's incredibly important information to get across. So before you you know it's important to talk about the specifics, but don't forget that it's important to give people an idea of what that moment to moment feel is like Absolutely. when you're playing it. That's really really important and something that's surprisingly frequently forgotten in a first draft so that's something important to throw out there um in terms of the few thing the, the things that seem to crop up more than others um little grammar things misplaced modifiers blows the roof off of everything else <laughs> and if you don't want to miss if you don't know what a misplaced modifier is i rather than me describe it to you go to google but it's essentially an, an indication where a clause later in a sentence doesn't necessarily fit with yep. <laughs> with with the subject, um, and so you have to make. Sometimes it's not if it's not clear what you're talking about. This frequently happens when you're using pronouns. When you say he, him, it, whatever, um, and it's not clear what it actually is or who he actually is, and so on and so forth. But more than that, just things where. Um, you have a whole clause that's describing something that's not the actual subject of the thing, of the sentence. Um, so it's really important to make sure that you don't misplace your modifiers. That was, that is by far the most common problem grammatically. So I'll leave that behind. And the last thing is, is just, and you know this as well as you know how I get with this, just avoid cliches. Yep. <laughs> and the line between what is a trope and what is a cliche is pretty thin. I'll admit, um, but there are there are certain you know keep ha, make yourself a little list as things go of no no phrases no no words no no things like that, and stick with it as best you can. You know they're, they're the obvious ones like mixed bag. Please don't ever use that. <laughs> um, visceral is a word that's weird, but even even beyond that, there are other things like do you need to use the word can? Is this a thing you can do in that game? No, it is a thing you do do in that game. Just get rid of the can. 
Yeah. So things things like that um, can really help streamline stuff. And a lot of that stuff has to do with removing words that are unnecessary. And that gives that strengthens your writing. And also in circumstances, certain circumstances, it gives you more room to talk about the things that are important and leave out things like the words really and very. You don't need those words. Oh, yeah. So if you're writing very and really probably you don't need them to be there. And I love that tip in general because that is something that I focused on over time, over my tenure uh, as a freelancer is just looking at that stuff and being like, okay, instead of thinking, what can I add? What can I take away to make this read better? And like you said, give yourself more room to talk about other things because you don't have all these these fatty, useless words and these different kind of things that you can just kind of cut. And by the end of it, you're like, man, this reads like someone who knew what they were talking about wrote it and not some mess. I'm reminded if if there are any Simpsons fans out there, there's a there's an episode where uh, Lisa goes to Washington to give her uh, to give her award winning speech, and and it's uh, it's sponsored by a Reader's Digest type publication um, called I think it's called Reading Digest in the <laughs> in the uh, in the show, but Homer goes up to uh, a woman that works for Reading Digest and says that he likes ways to improve your word power. And, and he says, it's really, 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 really good. <laughs> and I'm reminded of that whenever I see really or very um, adverbs. And, and you know, go read. There's a great Stephen King wrote a great book called On Writing, which is half autobiography and half writing advice. And a lot of the stuff for fiction writing actually applies to nonfiction writing and to criticism and so on and so forth. Adverbs are not typically your friend. And if you can replace, if you can get rid of an adverb and use a stronger verb or adjective in its place, all the better. Because you could say, you know, quickly run, but you could also say sprint. And you have a situation there where you have a chance to actually use a stronger, more active word. And that's always the right choice when you can. So I don't know, throw, throw these little bits of advice into a blender. Um, I have tons of others on Twitter. My, my Twitter handle is fiddle cub, by the way, if you want to, if you want to follow and every so often I'll throw out just something, um, you know, that, that, that's irritating to me in game review cliches, um, I've touched on one earlier, which was, this isn't a game. This is an experience. Shut up. Yep. If that's, if you don't, don't, don't do that. Every single um, gone home comment in every gone home review ever. Yeah. You know, was... shush, shush <laughs> with that stuff because that's not, that's, that's, that's an unnecessary qualification. Um, you know, go, you know, there was one that made me cringe recently and I won't, I won't point out who it was, but it was a review that said something like that. Hmm, could it even be art or something oh, like that? And it's nope. like, oh, <laughs> screw that. Uh, uh, but most recently, another one that's probably a little bit more, a, a little less contentious than talking about games as, you know, in, in not game terms um, is probably worth your time. Um, I think yeah. that's my most recent annoyance because I've seen it crop up in several reviews i've written recently so i would say if you're writing you know this game is worth your time um you're probably just being redundant Mm. um find a new way to say what it is that you're saying if you're recommending it then just find new ways and you don't usually you don't have to come out and say that 
<laughs> yeah, totally. usually you don't have to just come right out and say this is worth a buy. You know, I've already I've already read the thousand words that came before it. I have a pretty good idea if it's worth the buy or not for me already. Yeah, but it's like well, um, let's read twelve hundred words. I could have read that last one. Like, oh, cool, it's worth my time. I'm buying it. Already done. That's yeah. That's a, that's a tricky one though because I know where that comes from. It comes it comes down to the how do I close this review? How do I conclude oh, this? And that's a really hard thing to do. So don't think that I'm judging you if you've ever written worth your time because God knows I have. Yeah. It's and also don't do uh food metaphors. I got that out of my system ages ago Uh and i'm really glad that i did because food metaphors never work but if you want it if you want some really bad food metaphors go back and read uh i wrote a review of this game called uh it was a sim city spinoff that was tetris and sim city combined and I'm, i'm forgetting the name of it it's like uh snap city or something like that that. i'm gonna look it up real quick before we leave and I wrote something like, oh, God, I want to I'm going to quote it. But the last thing I do is to show you how how bad I really was um, at this stage. But I need to f- the perfect closer is just you saying, it. don't ever do what I did. Um, but you're right in terms of what you're finding that like there's always those cliches that you see. And I never look at someone who's done that and say, oh, you're a terrible writer. Like everyone does it. But uh Make sure you try to get those not only like out of your system and recognize that you're doing it. And one of the hardest things I learned over time was you definitely need someone to look over your writing and tell you when you're doing those things. It's great to have an editor to point out like, hey, this thing you're glossing over, stop doing that. Like you take that out. It'll make your writing way better. Yeah, I mean, that's that's actually a common thing is is to and it can go two different ways depending on how it how it seems to come across to to the reader so you've got situations where you know here's a here's a little quibble i have and now i'm going to spend up an entire paragraph on this thing so in, a, in an editor's mind there are two possibilities here one is this just really is a tiny thing and you're searching for things to criticize and it doesn't need to be there and it's just it's it's hindering the tone of the review because you say this game is great, but I read I read a paragraph or two on this like this piddly bullshit, mm. and now you make me feel like this is this is actually a big problem. And for you know for me that means one of two things. That means either you're just wasting your time and searching for something, or it means you're glossing over big problems and trying to make them sound like little ones. Yep. So both of those things are actual possibilities in that scenario. So it's up to an editor to kind of dig in, um, and it either means it means either changing the the, the conclusion and, and and that kind of thing if if it's a case of a writer that's just overlooking major problems, um, or it or it could just mean toning this down, using less space to talk about it, or just getting rid of it if it really is something that's really unimportant. And it's only there to make you not like some. Sometimes you you do fear that you know you're overpraising something, and you know you don't think this is a ten, but you can't really think of a lot of bad things to say and and that yeah. kind of thing. So don't feel the pressure to f- talk about things that aren't important in mm-hmm. a video game review. Like if it's not important, but somebody told you once that you have to talk about the soundtrack, um, but there's nothing to say about the soundtrack, then just for God's sake, don't say it. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's something like I've had to like. There were a lot of times where I'm like, oh, I haven't talked about the music. I should probably do that. But it's like, wait, maybe I didn't talk about it because there's nothing about it that grabs me in a way that I really feel like I need to go on for a paragraph or two about it. And same thing with 
like visually I can mention like as, as long as they have, I want to make sure they have some sort of picture of what this is. But if the visuals aren't something that are really striking me and there are other aspects of the game that are much more important, don't Talk feel, yeah, don't feel obligated to, and that's a very early review thing that I did. You feel obligated to go down almost a checklist of here's the story, here's the gameplay, here's the visuals, here's how the music complements or does injustice to the visuals. And I really had to break out of that and make sure like, look, what's important and what can I say about this without making it sound like I have to go through a checklist? Right. Okay. Uh, I f- so I found that review, by the yes. way. Um, it's for the Sims Carnival Snap City. Uh, and uh, like I said, it's a it's a mashup of of Tetris and Sim City. That's I won't get into into it now, but I'm gonna I'm gonna read to you the really bad food metaphors. Um, sometimes two unique flavors belong together, like peanut butter and bananas, or bacon and anything. Uh, other flavors like pickles and chocolate are best left separated. And so we have the Sims Carnival Snap City. A little title. There's another thing, by the way, I hate when games are called titles. Oh, yeah, I know. I remember this. <laughs> <laughs> a little title that combines Tetris and Sim City into a weird casserole of boring, half baked gameplay oh mechanics that will disappoint fans of either of those oh. classics. There's a, there's a fans of something else you should probably avoid. But here's the kicker. Like a horseradish milkshake or herring cream pie, it's a curiosity you should leave others to experience. I rate now, this review a 10 out of 10. Now, granted, I do think that I, I do remember feeling pretty clever coming up with the idea of a herring cream pie. But you should generally avoid the, the food metaphors because they're a cliche in their own right. No, I'm going to contradict and, everything you said. Anyone listening, write <laughs> all of that. Like, do whatever Kevin did right there and move forward in life. And then at the very end, I, I finish it up with, Snap City is a neat concept, but in practice, it's dreadfully boring. Like an anchovy enchilada, <laughs> it's an interesting idea that just didn't work out. Oh, my God. I love but, this review. But people do that all the time. I, and I must say, I'm not a big fan of, like, high-concept reviews. I've read a few of these types of reviews before where... You know, cut to uh, game producers sitting in an office, yeah. Bl- and then, the, and then, the, and then from there um, goes through this hypothetical conversation about what it is that they're making, and and usually it's for a negative review um, of you know type of thing. Don't do that. Yeah. For God's sake, don't do that. It's been done, um, and I promise you, you're not as clever as you think you are when you're doing it. Um, oh my god, I'm full of advice now. So you no. should probably just let me go before I just keep going and going and going, and it's just going to be a list of Kevin's We'll pet, just do an all-advice podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I would love sometime in the future to go over even more of this stuff, because I do think this is super useful for people who, once again, are looking to pitch and are looking to uh, improve their writing and make sure that they stick around at a certain website and don't just kind of get that one shot. But uh, once again, Kevin, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Um, I always look back the way that you gave me a chance was always super funny because uh, I think I'd reached out to you randomly to do a dual interview with the Darksiders 2 developers and that was the first time we pretty much ever talked uh, and thankfully I kept your email around for when I became a not as terrible writer and you gave me that chance uh, on GameSpot so I really am appreciative of that in more ways than you'll know because it kicked off a lot of what I'm doing now so it's it's cool to talk to you now, um, even though you're not at GameSpot anymore, going on this new adventure. Um, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about what you're doing at Try On Worlds and more with your Wild Guesses podcast. And you better believe 
I will be reading all of your reviews going forward and just sending you all kinds of feedback. And if I don't see any sort of food related uh, snippets in the reviews, I'll be really bummed. Aw, you're sweet. <laughs> be careful if you follow all of my advice, then pro- you'll probably only be able to write like four words. <laughs> so, <laughs> so take it all with a grain of salt. But uh, <laughs> thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm easy to find on Twitter and at wildguesses.com. So I'll be around. Yeah, that's great. So once again, thank you, Kevin, and thank you everyone who is listening. Um, and also thank you for all the feedback from the last episode with Greg Kasavin. That was my most listened to podcast by a long shot. And I've really gotten some really great emails and messages about that. So thanks, guys. And hopefully you tune back in for the next one, which will be more about reviews from a GameSpot freelancer. Uh, so yeah, tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.